with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, China hopes the European Union will lift restrictions on Chinese high-tech products, and foreign institutions have expressed positive views on the Asia market and China's economic growth. And now, let's begin with our top story. China hopes the European Union will lift restrictions on Chinese high-tech products. This comes after Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng and the EU Trade Commissioner Valdis Dombrovskis co-chaired a high-level economic and trade dialogue. The two officials also agreed to maintain communications. And Chinese Vice Premier also said the country is ready to advance its comprehensive strategic partnership with the European Union. So, for more on this, join us on. On the line now, uh, Dr. Zhou Mi, a senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Dr. Zhou, first of all, China and the EU have high expectations for the high-level economic and trade dialogue. So, what are the demands from both sides? In my understanding, that both sides are trying to have、uh, giving more strength or you know the hope for the market because both sides has a very big de-、uh, demand for the different kind of areas, not only in certain areas but quite right,、uh, including the agricultural products, manufacturing, and also the services. So I think that both sides trying to make it、uh, the market more confident、uh, about the cooperation between these two sides and、uh, which is very important. For not only for these two sides, but also for the rest of the world.、Mm-hmm. And so, actually, Ina, the meeting has highlighted the importance of maintaining stable and mutually beneficial supply chains. Could you explain how the two sides could work to achieve this stability? Well, a lot of it、uh, depends on、uh, you know the European actions.、Um, <clears throat> Europe is saying that they need better and fair access to Chinese markets. That、uh, you know everyone has to be fair to the EU, much the way the US is saying it. But the part they don't want to mention is that it's the EU who has been taking sanctions out on、um, uh, China,、uh, and that includes the, the for, forbidding the sale of、um, Dutch.、Uh, Chip making equipment to China, so it's it is kind of one sided, and for some, it looks like they're trying to move the goalposts. Obviously, they think that this is in their favor, but China is concerned about you know this kind of protectionist move.、Uh, the question is, how do they do it? And part of this gets into this issue about、um, strategic resources, because you know China basically sent a warning signal. They haven't、uh, prevented any gallium or some other uh, strategic uh, minerals from being exported, but they said you're going to have to apply for them, which is exactly what the U.S. and EU has done to China.、Um, so you know, all of a sudden,、uh, the EU is saying, "Oh, you know, we were right. We have to diversify our sources. We can't depend on China." But you know, it's kind of one of these things. If you if you say that we fear you, and、uh, that we're going to take steps to suppress you,、uh, you can't be surprised when the other party says, "Well, I, I guess we are going to have to take precautions." So this kind of lack of trust 
is moving things in a negative direction. Uh, what is needed is to restore that. And I, hopefully these talks will lead to that, but it's very difficult. So Dr. Joe, so how do you think the two sides could work to achieve some stability? Yeah, in my understanding that both sides are very strong economies in the world. And uh, uh, averagely, we, we would see that EU is also one of the, uh, the, the very important uh, stakeholders in the global governance issue. So they are uh, trying to stick to the freedom of the, the trade in the past uh, several decades. But we have to notice that the world has changed and we are trying to give more signals from them that they will also continue to do that as before. Before. So we would like to try to not only to establish uh, the mechanism, but also trying to uh, do some actions to trying to make the market believe that we are really want to go to uh, the same direction and we can reduce the barriers. I think that from these platforms or from this dialogue, we could see that several uh, mechanisms like the dialogues on the materials and also something to do with agricultural products has been established. I hope that is a, a very important step to forward to move on for the better coordination. But I, I think that both sides has a very diversified demands and supplies. So we should address the different the different situation in, in both sides and trying to make connections better and more resilient. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Zhou, so before the talk, China said it was concerned with the EU's anti-subsidy investigation into China's electric vehicles. So how would you explain China's stance and concerns on this issue? Yes, I agree with you that, uh, you know, we mentioned that there are so many different aspects, but uh, uh, the EVs must be one of the most important thing because for these uh, sectors is not only are very important sectors in both sides uh, for the manufacturing, they are the traditional manufacturing of the cars of the EU, but also for China, we export a lot to other countries, especially in the recent years. So I think that both sides are trying to address this problem, especially when we are trying to see that uh, the EVs are becoming one of the most important factors in the development uh, of the technology while to come back to with uh, climate change. So I, I believe that when EU said that they will raise uh, the the probe on the anti-subsidy uh, the cases in the in the EV sectors, I, I think the sector must be shocked not only from China side but also from EU side. So if they are trying to continue with that, I, I think that there will be must be something we need to do to address the challenges and trying to make it better to fit both sides' demands and not to interfere with the order of the the world or the sectors too much. Mm. And I know so many countries like Germany, they uh, strongly oppose uh, such, you know, uh, the punitive measures. They say that any trade war would have too much to lose for the region. So what's your thoughts on this? Well, I agree. I mean, if you start looking at uh, BMW, uh, Volkswagen and Mercedes, they would lose uh, a third of their sales or, or more, depending on which uh, one you're talking about, but um, a much higher percentage of the profits. Uh, China has contributed uh, over 50% of profits uh, to BMW and Mercedes uh, worldwide. So, uh, you know, it literally it more than decimate the, the things so that would cut it in half. Uh, that means less uh, money for research and development. But I, I think we have to address the elephant in the room here, and, and that is you're looking at the EU and it's quickly deindustrializing and it's complaining and somehow trying to blame China for that. Uh, the fact is um, energy in the EU is eight times the cost 
of, of somewhere like Saudi Arabia, mm. right? Uh, wages are six times the cost of China on a monthly basis. How can you be world competitive when you're not uh, investing in the kind of technology that's going to bring down uh, the labor costs and address this energy issue? And until Europe does that, they can complain, they could point fingers all they want, but the fact is they're not going to be a stable production platform because you just can't compete there. So a lot of this is just window dressing, uh, trying to give people a sense that, you know, the, the people in the capitals are, you know, in charge of things when the, in actuality they, they haven't figured out what to do next. Mm -hmm. And Aina, so how might this investigation affect the Europeans' EV market and its consumers? Well, the consumers just going to have to pay more. I mean, if you if you say, if you say uh, we're not going to we're going to put uh, you know tariffs on uh, cars coming from China, if you want an electric car, a decent one, you're going to have to pay more. But I mean, it's it would have to be extremely heavy tariff. Uh, I talked to some um, industry insiders, and they basically said, look, um, the Chinese can send a car to Germany, an electric EV, which is uh, equivalent. To ours, except ours costs three times more. So at 50,000 euros, you can buy the top of the line a Chinese uh, electric vehicle. You'd have to spend 150,000 uh, to get something comparable from the German side. Mm -hmm. And, and this, that goes back to my earlier point. You, you cannot squeeze uh, blood out of a stone. And right now, uh, Europe needs to address uh, what's going on in Ukraine and get its uh, economy back to a stable basis where it can get competitive energy. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Joe, so do you foresee any potential risk to the global supply chains in the uh, EV industry? Yes, as I mentioned, that uh, the U.S. is just in the, the beginning of the development. So for the sectors, it hasn't came into a very sound mode of uh, cooperation. And we know that uh, auto industries uh, as uh, one of the most intertwined industries in the world. So mm -hmm. the globalization has made it more you know, coordinated by different countries. So we, we are talking about the EVs, although it is a kind of new thing, but it's still based on the traditional abilities of uh, building a car. So a lot of cooperation happened, not only between these two sides, but also many other countries, including some of the countries in ASEAN countries, they are doing something to do with uh, auto parts and others maybe have more things to be involved in the data related services. So when we, these two uh, countries or or, uh, regions are having more problems. I, I think that uh, the supply chain, the global supply chain, has to be reconstructed mm. to uh, to be fit for this uh, change. That is definitely a shock, and I don't think it's uh, it will uh, come to a new balance in the short term. And some analysts say the probe marks another step in Europe's shift from being the world's largest free trade bloc to erecting trade barriers in the era of deglobalization. So, Dr. Joe, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I mean, averagely, I still believe that EU is uh, one of the yeah, stakeholders to, to stick to the uh, free trade in the global governance. But uh, actually, when the WTO and other multilateral platforms are in a much more challenging stage, we still see that uh, it is very important for the important countries or stakeholders to play more uh, active in con uh, stick to the principles that we have uh, given to the world. So, well, in this regard, I don't think that uh, the 
you know, a trade dispute is something that we cannot do. Uh, maybe we can do, but we should take care of uh, its effect, not only the direct effect, but also the side effects, because there are so many uncertainties, especially for some new goods or products when we are trying to trying to carefully encourage or you know, trying to help the innovation. If we are doing more to stop its innovation, I think that is definitely one of the bad things, not only for the welfare of the society, but also to climate change and other challenges by the all the countries in the world. Mm-hmm. So, Aina, do you agree with Dr. Joe on this? Yeah, I, I, I think you, Dr. Joe is trying to put a nice face on it. Um, you know, the, the the issues that we're talking about here also apply to the U.S., where you know they're they're pushing for a forty percent increase in um, in wages. Uh, you know, this that increase has to go somewhere, and uh, that would be a huge hit to the system that affects the competitiveness of this. And this is what you're seeing in these uh, developed countries: is they've kind of hit a trap point. Uh, where the wages, especially for services um, and even manufacturing, are so high that it makes them uncompetitive unless they embrace and put a tremendous amount of money into automation. And they haven't done that. I mean, China's uh, been leading the world um, in terms of a number of machines uh, for the last eight years, uh, robots and things like that, automation. Uh, It's continuing to uh, drive costs down with you know, digital 4.0, trying to um, make sure that everything is as efficient and pos- as possible. And you just don't see that happening in Europe or, or the U.S. Um, mostly it's complaining that things should go back to the way they were. Well, you know, change is dynamic. Um, it, it, you never slim, you can never swim in the same water twice in a, in a moving river. Um, and it, for some reason that's being lost. And instead you're hearing a lot about, you know, politically, we're going to protect ourselves. You know, somebody else is at fault. It couldn't possibly be that, uh, you know, our advanced economies have something wrong with them and need to be retooled. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tangen, a senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Dr. Zhou Mi, a senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. And after a short break, we'll take a look at foreign institutions have raised their forecasts for China's economic growth and stock returns. Stay with us. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. I am Dan Wang. Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. 
Foreign institutions have expressed positive views on the Asia market and China's economic growth. Chief China economist Royal Green at TS Lambert has said the company has upgraded its rating for Chinese stocks because the risk reward on this equities is improving. Meanwhile, the Goldman Sachs' latest report also predicts that China's economic growth will gradually increase from 3.2 percent in the second quarter to 5 percent in the fourth quarter, and China. China's full-year growth is expected to be 5.4 percent. So, first of all, Ina, how attractive are Chinese equities to foreign investors? I mean, the attitude of global investors to China is complicated, and there are so many、uh, global investors. Their thinking about China's market are quite different. So, are Chinese equities still attractive to foreign investors? No,、oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, the PE ratio is half of the historical、uh, level, which is around 24. Right now, it's around 12, and it's、uh, one third of where the U.S. market is. So, you know, going back to my earlier conversation, if you start thinking about economies、uh, that are going to be positioned in the future uh, to be um, uh, manufacturing and provide services, a lot of it goes to costs. And China continues to drive its costs down. The U.S.、Uh, by you know you can see what's happening there. They're they're driving their costs up with、uh, more wage in- increases and things like that. And Europe Europe has the same problem. So I I definitely think that it would be this would be the time to be buying selectively into、uh, those types of、uh, industries. Uh, which you do believe China has a bright future, and I, I I don't know how anyone's going to overcome what、uh, China has in EVs. There's so much pressure and talk about inflation, but if you put tariffs on something, you increase inflation. That means people have to spend more for、uh, things that they deem necessary, and vehicles in the,、uh, Europe and the United States are extremely necessary. So. Um, it's it's hard for me to figure out how the West is、um, and the developed countries are going to deal with these kind of asymmetrical imbalances within their own、uh, economies versus what China's been doing very regularly and、uh, substantially for the last、uh, 40 years.、Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Zhou, several foreign institutions have raised their forecasts for China's economic growth and the stock returns. So, what's your view for the long run? Yeah, when we're talking about the investment, I think that at least there are two areas we need to consider. The first、mm-hmm. one is how can we get benefit by by the investment in this market. Actually,、uh, I agree with Anna's view that China's uh, uh, economy is、uh, very promising, and not only in the short term but also in the middle and the long term. I think it's a kind of a fact that many investors will believe that Chinese economy is resilient, and we have many more. Diversified or possibilities for the innovative ways of、uh, development. Well, the second area I would say that if the investors want to choose a place to invest, they may they must、uh, compare with、uh, different、uh, markets in the world. So they compare with other countries. When we are talking about that, I think that Chinese economy is much more stronger and resilient in the recent,、uh, even the recent month. So it's actually a very、uh, good signal for the investors to choose where to invest.、Mm-hmm. As for the 
the Chinese market, uh, Asia market, I think there are so many new markets are listed in the market. So they are providing more information, not only from the just the, the traditional one, but for the artificial intelligence, uh, new uh, new energy uh, vehicles, or many new areas, which is a kind of very important experiment field for the investors to try to get uh, more benefits by the investment. Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Zhou, how can China further expand the investment channels to continue to attract foreign capital, do you think? In my understanding that for the investment from the foreign uh, investors, there may be uh, two ways. The first one is a direct investment. We see the FDIs in China. We have uh, uh, just uh, concluded the, the 10th anniversary of the free trade zones in China. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, there are so many uh, new things that we can try to do more to uh, have a better openness for the for the uh, local areas, for different sectors and uh, also industries. Well, the second for the indirect investment, I still believe that in this regard, we, we have much more space to do as for the capital, uh, capital account openness and also the connection between the mainland uh, markets with uh, Hong Kong and even other countries' markets. There are more connections for the foreign investment to be here, not only in the uh, in the Asia market, but also in some uh, kind of other fund. So I, I do believe that uh, if we want to attract the investors, we must believe them, uh, make them believe that uh, the market is going to be more and more open. We were not trying to do uh, another direction to close our market. Well, the second is we need to have a, a very strong uh, an expectation for the market's development, for the returns, for the continuous of the policies and for the transparent, which is what Chinese government is doing and the third one, I believe, is that we should try to open more spaces for them to invest with the, the high-end technology and the new areas, the modes of the integration of the uh, software and also the hardware into a very big and uh, much wider uh, base of development. Mm. And Dr. Zhou, actually, let's talk about China's economic recovery. Looking at the August data, when it comes to the credit inflation and all the other activity, you know, data is beating the market expectations. And we are expecting the policy accumulation. We've seen a lot of policy support from China. So do you expect that uh, the policy accumulation to really support the real economy for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I believe that uh, the policies are one of uh, Chinese government uh, attitudes to the market. While they have done a lot in the past uh, um, many years, and especially for the uh, first half of this year, we are trying to do more to uh, stabilize the expectation of the market. Mm. So we can see that the signals is getting better, and uh, it hasn't returned to the you know the, the original trend before the COVID, but it's still becoming stronger. So in the rest of this year, we still trying to make a stable and uh, continuous policies to support the development of the market by giving a very uh, transparent and open market uh, to the different investors and the stakeholders in the market. Mm. So Aina, so what do you think about the policy accumulation? Actually, the monetary policy usually takes three to six months before people see any kind of real attraction, right? Yeah, and th- this is one of the issues. I mean, China's been um, somewhat cautious. Um, and, and part of the reason is uh, the things you do now 
you're not going to see for three months. So if you just keep doing more and more uh, in, in, you know, like the U.S. did with the um, the COVID funds, you end up um, not actually helping your economy. And I think this cautious approach uh, is bearing a little bit of fruit. We've seen uh, some uh, good stable stability signs. Uh, government, uh, Chinese government is still saying it's going to be very targeted. And uh, in terms of policies, uh, it's going to be a mixture of fiscal and monetary. Uh, they're, uh, you know, maintaining stability is the key. They're going to be doing more projects. Um, they'll probably reduce the IRR rate from the um, uh, banks to put a little bit more money there. They're targeting small, medium-sized business entities. In essence, they're doing everything they should be doing, but they're being cautious about it because as you just pointed out, you just don't know what's going to happen in, in, in this, you know, six, uh, three to six months out. Mm-hmm. And I know also for the long term, according to the World Bank, actually, from the year 2013 to the year 2021, China's contribution to the global growth averaged nearly 40% a year. And right now, the global economy is facing some very uncertain times. So do you think China can still contribute at a high level regarding to the global growth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, China has a plan. You know, at, at this at this juncture, China will continue to have the upper hand because it looks at the global situation and it plans not only next year, you know, five years, 10 years, but 20, 30 years into the future. Um, and this is, you know, no better example than electric vehicles. Um, that's a perfect example. And, and it's not just there, you know, you look at 5G, 6G, factory automation, um, digital 4.0 actually being applied in the areas, digital currency, which could be um, the solution uh, to this issue about convertibility, because once you do have that digital currency, uh, everything is trackable and uh, there are no surprises. And if you have legitimate reasons to be sending money abroad, instead of going through a whole bunch of um, approvals, and uh, you'll be able to do it virtually instantaneously uh, because the, the system knows exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Zhou, do you think China can still contribute at a very high level, you know, regarding to the global growth? Yeah, I believe that uh, we still have the ability to do that because at least, uh, you know, we have a very strong domestic market and domestic market are playing a more important role in the recovery of the economy of China. So we have a better plan to integrate the different regions of China and to give more platform or space for the innovative phase of development. And we are trying to establish the more connections with other countries under the Belt and Road Initiative and the multilateral platform and also the regional cooperation with different kinds of trade agreements. So I believe that uh, we the integration of the resources and the establishment of new mechanisms, the cooperation and integration of the global supply chain and the industrial chains will be still be strengthened. And that is definitely good for the continuous of the development. And what's more, I, I believe that, as we mentioned, that we have more talks with major economies in the world and that kind of dialogues may provide better uh, a better support for the recovery of the economy, not only for us, but also for the rest of the world. Mm. Well, thank you for both of the two gentlemen. And that was Dr. Zhou Mi, a senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. And also Aina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Mm.